Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Daniel chapter 6. And while you turn there, let me remind you of a couple things. I don't have bunny ears or bunny sunglasses or whatever that was on, but uh, Easter is coming, and we're uh, excited about the opportunity to gather for that day and celebrate. To me, it's really uh, simple that Easter is the biggest holiday we celebrate. Um, The birth of Christ is a great thing to celebrate, but unless he... Uh, lived a sinless life and died a sacrificial death and rose from the grave that Easter Sunday morning, uh, the birth is, is really just a, a beautiful story, a powerful story, but it's not a life-changing story except for Easter. So we're looking forward to that day. Uh, we have a couple of announcements coming up. Uh, I'm not going to share all that today, but just be paying attention for some updated information coming out uh, in the next couple weeks uh, as far as our schedule and Easter and all those kind of things. Um, before we dive into this chapter today, we're going to do something a little strange. We're going to go out of order. We're going to do last things first. Because really there's only one, uh, I guess, primary point of this chapter that is kind of uh, a bone of contention or maybe a point of discussion or disagreement with various uh, commentaries and historians. And that is King Darius and who he was. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start today by talking about Daniel chapter 6, verse 28. So Uh, Look at the end of the chapter, and we're going to read that. We're going to talk about it real quick because I don't want this to be hanging over us. I don't want this to be lingering. I want us to get into the text, but I feel like we need to kind of deal with this um, point before we get into it. Verse 28 says, Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, in my Bible, that's the Holman, Holman Christian Standard Bible. In my Bible, there's a little note there after the and, and it says that in some texts, they use Darius, comma, even. So that would read, during the reign of Darius, even the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So some believe that, uh, that Darius and Cyrus are two different people. Others believe that Darius, which uh, his name means holder of the scepter or Lord. So some believe that Darius was just a, a, a title that they used, kind of like king or Caesar or Pharaoh, um, but that, that basically Cyrus is Darius and Darius is Cyrus. I'm going to be honest with you, I, I don't really know. Uh, my personal opinion is that Darius was just another name used for King Cyrus uh, because it was used in inscriptions for several other Persian leaders. But it could have been that there were two different people, that uh, Darius was in charge of a smaller region and Cyrus was over him. We don't know for sure. But ultimately, here's what we do know, and this is where I want to I want to kind of pinpoint us this morning. Ultimately, we know that King Cyrus was eventually moved to allow the Jews to return to Israel around 537 B.C. after 70 years in exile, and he helped fund the restoration of Jerusalem. So whether Darius was Cyrus or whether Cyrus came after Darius or whether Cyrus was over Darius, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because we know that Cyrus was the one who sent the Jews back to Jerusalem and and kind of financed that expedition and the rebuilding. It's okay. Now, let's shift back to Daniel. Again, this is toward the end of, uh, this is the last story we're going to see from Daniel that is kind of in a chronological order in the book. And then uh, uh, chapters 7 on to the end are going to talk about prophecy. And so uh, hopefully, prayerfully, we're going to talk about chapter 7 next week. Y'all... It's been, a rough, it's been a rough week trying to make the sausage, okay? I got a ton of information. I'm really excited about the chapter, 
but what in the world am I going to tell you all next week? I, I'm still battling. So unless I chicken out, or unless the Lord really convicts me to change, we're going to talk about chapter 7 next week. But that is out of order. It's out of sequence because it's Daniel now shifting into prophecy. This is the last story we're going to get about Daniel. What we know about Daniel so far is that he has served honorably, even though the people that he served were not his people. Now remember that. Daniel was in exile. Sometimes it's easy for us to forget Daniel 1, we're in Daniel 6. We see what he did in Daniel 2 and Daniel 4, uh, Daniel 5. We see the story of the three uh, Hebrew guys, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in chapter 3. And sometimes it's easy. We kind of lose track of the fact that Daniel is still a captive. He's still an exile. He's still a hostage, for lack of a better term. And yet Daniel is serving these people that have taken him from his homeland. Uh, Daniel used his captivity as an opportunity for evangelism. Now let that sink in for a minute. Rather than pray for deliverance from Babylon, Daniel prayed to be used by God wherever he found himself. Now before we get into the text, I, I just want you to let that ruminate a little bit. Let that, let that bounce around in your brain a little bit. Daniel was in exile. Daniel was taken from his homeland. He was taken captive. He was drug off to Babylon, taken away from his family, taken away from his faith, taken away from everything that he knew as a young boy, probably somewhere around 14 years old. And yet he didn't spend, we don't have six chapters of Daniel with him crying and weeping about what's happened to him. We don't have six chapters of Instagram posts and Facebook posts and tweets about and TikToks, whatever that is. We don't have all of that stuff from Daniel complaining, oh, why did God let, me have, let this happen to me? Oh, why me? No, I don't deserve to be here. I don't like this place. I want to go back home and we don't see any of that. Here's what we see. We see a young man who was taken from his home who made a decision that he was going to serve the God that he knew regardless of where he was. His location did not determine his faithfulness. And I want to ask you a question this morning before we start. Is that you? Does that mindset describe your mindset? Are you praying that God would restore America? Are you praying that God would put America back on top and, and you know, solve our economic problems and solve our debt problems so we can continue to be America? Or are you praying that God, whatever your plan is for America, use me? Whatever the future holds for our nation, whatever the future holds for this planet, going forward in my lifetime, whether I'm a free person or whether I'm an exile or whether I'm a captive, our prayer needs to be, God, use me for your glory. Wherever I am and whatever situation I'm in, use me as you see fit. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for the opportunity to dig into your word. God, I pray that the conviction that has been laying on my heart as I've studied and prepared... God, that you would use that to really reveal yourself today through your word. God, help us to take something away from this chapter of Daniel that will help us more strongly follow Jesus Christ and make us more evangelistic in the way we operate. And we'll give you the glory for it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so the first thing I want us to talk about is in the first nine verses, verses one through nine. And here is where we find a conniving plot. That's our first point, a conniving plot. Darius comes to power. We read that last week. He kills Belshazzar. He comes in. He takes over. 
and he quickly sets up this government with 120 administrative districts covering the whole kingdom, and then he uses these men called satraps over each of those. Now, <clears throat> what do y'all think about when you hear the word satraps? Anybody just think about it. What do you think, satraps? Here's what I think. Double bogey. Maybe a triple. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That's satraps. Satraps. <clears throat> Have y'all sprung forward? Come on now. The jokes don't get any better. Y'all better start laughing at them. All right, so there's 120 smaller regions, and this is basically what he did. Let's, for, for our, in our vernacular, let's take it from where we understand. Here's what he did. He came in, he took over Babylon, and he set up states. That's simply what he did. These administrative regions, 120 satraps, he set up states. And then over these states, he basically assigned three rulers or presidents over those states. So he's the king. There's three men under him that are overseeing. We don't know for sure if it was split up evenly, 40 apiece, or how it was done. But we know that he's the king, three men under him, 120 men under them, to rule this kingdom and keep track of everything. And this is the quote it gives in verse 2. It says, uh, the presidents were set up, or these three rulers, to whom the satraps would give an account so the king might not suffer loss. So be encouraged this morning that government corruption did not begin in America. We see it even in Babylon. The king knew that if he had 120 states, 120 districts, or whatever you want to call them, that if he just left those men to their own devices, they would have their hand in the cookie jar. They'd be taking their own little you know, cut of the taxes or the, the fees required. And so he says, okay, I'm going to set these 120 up. I'm going to set these three men over them to make sure that I don't get stuff taken away from me or to make sure that these men don't try to consolidate power and become a problem for me and my kingdom. And, and here's where I'm getting with this. Three men out of the entire kingdom that he had taken over. Three. And Daniel was one of them. Now think about the kind of life of authenticity that you have to live. By the way, Daniel would have been about 80 years old right now. How many of y'all are 80 right now? All right, after daylight savings time, how many of y'all feel 80 right now? All right. 80 years old, Daniel is still at work because of the lifetime he had lived, because of the example he had lived, because of the, the, the character that he had shown. He is chosen as one of the three presidents over these three regions of this kingdom of Darius. Now think about that. Our text informs us that, that he was brought to this height even though he's at, at an advanced, what we would consider an advanced stage. Uh, when we were trying to figure out what we are going to call our college ministry, and yes, this is a real shift, but no, it's really not. When we were trying to figure out what we are going to call our college ministry, we were praying about it and talking about it, and we are trying to come up with some name that was going to be something that would stick and have meaning. And, and I kept thinking, you know, I don't, I, don't really want, I don't want college students to come to college and their faith to just survive four years of college. I don't, want, I don't want them to come and just try to hold on to some little remnant of their faith. I want their faith to thrive. I, don't, I want their faith to grow. And I believe we've seen that in our college ministry, that we've seen students come here as freshmen or sophomores, and we've watched them grow in their faith. And so this passage that I'm about to read from Psalm 92 that we're going to apply to Daniel is the passage that we took our Wemo Thrive. We took the word thrive from. Let me read it for you. Uh, Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. The righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they thrive in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in their old age, healthy and green, 
to declare the Lord is just. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Look at verse 14 there. They will still bear fruit in their old age. There is no retirement age in service to God. You can retire from your business. You can retire from, from what you do. You can even retire from full-time ministry, but you never retire from serving Christ. If you are laying on your back in an assisted living area and you still have your right mind, you should be an evangelist to every person that comes in that room. If you're in a hospital bed waiting for life-saving surgery, your focus, and listen, I understand what I'm about to say, your focus should not be on your surgery and the outcome. Your focus should be on how can I glorify Christ in my condition, in my situation. And I'm looking around this room and I see people who have done that. I see people who have lived lives of, of being on mission. And this is what we see from Daniel. This is the example from Daniel. Uh, there's a commentator by the name of Joel Bez, uh, Joel Bells, and this is what he says about Daniel. I want you to listen to this. He says that Daniel sets the standard for Christians who would hold public office. He was serious about the work of statecraft, but he was even more serious about being known as a servant of God, determined to follow God's precepts no matter the cost. Our society could use a few more political leaders like Daniel. And the only thing that I could add to that quote is amen. Amen. God has not called Christians to be separate from government. He's also not called Christians to worship the government. But if we're going to be part of the government, we're going to run for public office, we need to have a mindset of Daniel. That we're not going to compromise our faith for our political benefit. We're not going to compromise what we believe because it's not uh, helpful for us in fundraising or helpful for us in gaining votes or popularity. Daniel's focus was on his service to God. And through his focus on his service to God, he was recognized and elevated even by a pagan king. Now then we find in, in, the, in the next couple of verses here, we find that these, uh, these bureaucrats have conspired to try to find fault in Daniel so they can set him up. They're jealous of him. They don't like him being in, in, in the in crowd. Let's put it that way. They don't like that this outsider, this, this Jew, is involved in their government they don't like him, and so they're out, they're out to get him. And so they start trying to plot against him. They start trying to figure out how they can catch him. Look at what verses 4 and 5 say. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they could not, or, but they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, Quote, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. Wow. They couldn't find anything against him. The only thing they could find, the only, the only thing they could use against him was his faith. His faith was so solid and known by so many that it could, it's the only thing they could count on for their plot against him. Let me ask you a question. What, what would our world look like if that could be said about each one of us? <clears throat> What would be different about our nation, about our state, about our local area if that could be said about every person who claimed to follow Christ? That no fault, no corruption, no evil could be found in them. The only way you could get them was to pin them against their walk. I'll tell you a quick story. And by the way, let me preface this. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't give the preface in the first service. I'm going to give it here. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. If you don't believe me, you've got three witnesses over here to talk to you. Uh, they live with me. They put up with me. But there are some things that I just, I just, there are walls in my life I, I just don't cross. Well, I get an email the other day 
By the way, senior adults, God bless y'all. If you're not tech savvy, bless your heart having to deal with all these, these losers that are constantly trying to trick and fool and fraud. You got phishing emails. You got text and all this. Bless your heart. I, I, I can't even imagine. I fr I'm frustrated dealing with it, and I've grown up with technology. So I get this email the other day, and it says, uh, you know, we have hacked your account. We've got access to your email, and we're ch we've got access to your computer. We're looking at your history. And I'm and, and, and right in the moment, I'm like, <sighs> my heart starts racing. We, we've been the victim of identity theft a couple of times. And so I'm like, oh, not again. And I'm starting to stress a little bit as I'm reading. And I get down to like the third paragraph, and it says, we noticed that you like to go to a bunch of adult sites. And I was like, <laughs> this is fake. This is a scam. Now, look, here's why I know that. Everybody look at me. Because I don't do that. Am I perfect? No, 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 no. Listen, trust me. I got plenty of witnesses to tell you I'm not perfect. But I don't do that. Now, now here's the thing. How about you? What if you got an email, a phishing email, and it, what it was was it's a blackmail email is what it is. It's like, well, we accessed your, your browser history. We know you've been looking at this stuff. And then we were able to access your camera, and so we've recorded you. And so we're going to put this video out. We're going to put this information out unless you send us money. I'm like, well, number one, y'all have come to a rock looking for <laughs> y'all looking for blood out of a turnip. Number one, number two, you, I, this is phony. I, I don't, I don't have any. There's not one little bit of worry in my mind because I know I haven't done it. So here's the thing: what if somebody said, "Hey, we've got a video of you at the casino. Hey, we've got a video of you at the strip club. Hey, we've got a video of you." at fill in the blank doing something that you don't want people to know about how would you feel about that what would that what would that do to your heart rate this morning and here's all I'm telling you and I'm not trying to get in your business and I'm not trying to meddle and I'm definitely not trying to say that I'm better than anybody but all, what I want you to know is if you want to have the kind of faith that Daniel had you want to be used by God like Daniel was you have got to separate yourself from anything that even looks or smells like sin the three Hebrew boys walked out of that furnace. They didn't smell like smoke. You know why? Because they were covered in the glory of God. They were protected by the faith that they had put in the Almighty God and God delivered them. You don't need to smell like any of that stuff either. You need to get as far away from that stuff as you can get so nobody can hold anything over your head. Nobody can challenge you. Nobody can threaten you. You know why I believe we don't have a lot of good people in politics? Number one, because there's not a lot of good people. Number two, because they don't want to get into that muck and that mire where everybody's trying to dig up all their past and make them into some kind of a villain because of something they said when they were 14 or something they tweeted when they were 20. We need to live lives circumspect. We need to live lives of sanctification that we're separating ourselves from everything that we don't need to be a part of. And if we want to make a difference for the kingdom, that's the kind of life we're going to have to live. So the first thing we see is a conniving plot. The second thing I want you to see is a consistent purpose. Look at verses 10 through 15. So Daniel finds out this document has been signed, and he goes to his house. Verse 10, the windows in its upper room were open toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to God as he had just as he, just, about to have a fit, just as he had done before. Here's what I don't read in my Bible. Daniel said, ooh, the king's trying to, they're trying to put this rule out. Tell you, I can get a lot of attention. I'll get, I'll get my name in the headlines. I'll be the, I'll be the hashtag of the week. I'll be the most, I'll be trending on Twitter. And I'm going to go up here to my room and I'm going to make sure everybody sees me. I'm going to throw my windows open and I'm going to make some racket. Well, I guess I better, I hope nobody catches me praying when the king has issued this order. That's not what he did. 
That's not what he did. He didn't go around. He didn't go with a big sign that says, follow me to my house. I'm going to break the law. He didn't do any of that. What did he do? He did what he had done. He did what was the pattern of his life. He went and he got on his face before a holy God and he said, God, my hand, uh, my, my, my life is in your hands. I trust you with everything. He didn't change what he was doing for better or for worse. He just did what he was consistently doing. There's a great Chinese proverb. I think it's a Chinese proverb. It says, uh, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second blessed, best time to plant a tree is today. Let me ask you something this morning. If, if they said an edict today that you couldn't pray in public or that you couldn't pray if anybody could see you, would you, still, would you be able to live your life the same way? Would it change anything about the way you live your life? Because it didn't change Daniel's life. The threat didn't change Daniel, and the challenge didn't change Daniel. Daniel didn't look at it and say, this is an opportunity for me to get some notoriety, for me to bring attention to myself. No, Daniel just went about his business. Danny Aiken said this, Christian character is not forged in the moment of adversity. Christian character is revealed in the moment of adversity. What would adversity reveal about you today? You see, Daniel's faith points us back to his three friends three chapters earlier in Daniel 3. And Daniel 3, 17 and 18 says, If the God we serve exists, then He can rescue us. But even if He does not rescue us, we want you to know king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. It also points us forward. It points us backwards to his three friends. It points us forward to the early church. I think I've mentioned this before, but Peter and John in Acts 4, uh, verses 19 and 20, they're, they're, they've just been brought in. They healed a lame man and they got arrested for it. And they got punished for it. And they brought him in and they punished him and they said, don't speak of this Jesus. And then they said, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and we have heard. And then in Acts 5.29, they're brought in again after this miraculous, uh, they were miraculously freed from jail and they go back to doing what they were doing before. Listen, by the way, they didn't get freed from jail and get on the lamb. They didn't get freed from jail and go run and hide. They got freed from jail and did what Daniel did. They went back to what they were doing before. And here's what they said. We must obey God rather than men. And his, his faith, Daniel's faith, also points us to the faith that we need today in the modern day. Listen to what Jesus said in John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have overcome the world. And then 2 Timothy 3, 12. All those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You see, for us, it may not be a lion's den, but rest assured, if you follow Jesus without reservation, you are going to find yourself in danger. You're going to find yourself running, swimming against the current. You're going to find yourself at odds with the culture in which we live. And, and let me just, let me, and see, now I'm on metal. If you're not finding yourself at odds with the culture, look at me. Maybe you need to turn the volume up in your life a little bit. Maybe you need to take that Jesus knob and just crank it on over just a little bit. Maybe if your faith has never cost you anything, maybe if your faith has never prevented you from being a part of something, maybe you don't have a faith at all. Maybe you've got some kind of watered-down version of it. Maybe you've been inoculated with some dead version of faith, and now you're building up an immunity to it. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. What I'm telling you is that your faith should put you at odds with the culture because you've got to be living at odds with them if you're going to be living for Christ. And that's what we see in Daniel's life. Daniel's life was 
swimming upstream before the ruling came out. The ruling was just the method that these satraps and administrators used to try to get him into trouble and to get him killed, to move him out of the way. His life didn't change because of the ruling. His life was his life. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 says, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. Conduct yourselves honorably so among the Gentiles so that in the case where they speak against you as those who do what is evil, they will by observing your good works glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, live your life in a way so that no accusation sticks. Well, I heard that your preacher was down there doing so and so. I bet he wasn't. Yeah, well, I heard. You know what? You keep on hearing I'm living my life in a way that people can't put that stuff on me because I'm not getting myself involved in that stuff. And I would challenge us all to do that. Philippians 3.20 reminds us that our citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. In 1 Peter 4, he goes on to say, Dear friends, don't be survived, surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. In other words, you've got to think like Daniel. Let me tell you what Daniel did not have happen to him. When he heard this new ruling, he's like, oh. <laughs> no, he probably just thought, yeah, that's about time. Seems like it's about like the train. It comes through here at the same right around, right on schedule. Here they are again. They're out to get me. He goes on to say in verse 13 of 1 Peter 4, Instead rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah, so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of His glory. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let me, let me talk to the young people for a minute. Y'all are neck deep in it, college students. You are, you are on a campus where it's this political correctness, this wokeness, this whole society of you can't ever say anything that hurts anybody's feelings and you have to try to, you know, you have to try to tiptoe around everybody's mental stress and, and how they see the world and you can't have really they I think they you can't have opinions. I mean if you have an opinion today they just cancel you. I mean you, you're just like you gotta get in you gotta get in with the herd. If you ain't moving you better be leaving because that you've got to get in with them. And same thing for our high schoolers, same thing for our middle schoolers. It's it's getting worse and worse. It's getting to be pervasive. Let me let me give you a quote to try to maybe give you some encouragement, okay? Matt Chandler said the presence and power of God works itself out over a long period of time in everyday faithfulness. And that's really what we're talking about. This, this idea, the God whom you continually serve, the idea there is that Daniel's life was, was constant. And so whether you're a middle schooler, a, a elementary schooler, a high schooler, a college student, a young adult, a middle-aged adult, which I realized the other day I'm not, unless I'm going to live to be 96, probably not going to happen. So that's, that hurt a little bit. But, but wherever you are, whether you're a senior adult, whether you're just trying to make it to the finish line, it doesn't matter. Listen to me. You need to be living a life of consistency every day. And if you haven't been living a life of consistency, if you didn't live consistently late yesterday, look at me. Start today. Start today. Put your, dig your heels down. Square your feet and say, bring it. Because I'm not moving. I'm going to live for Christ regardless of what it costs me, regardless of what the culture says. Everyday faithfulness is what we need. We don't need any people that hear of a, of a, of a battle and go looking for a sword. We need people who have got their sword in their hand and ready to fight. God is not looking for someone who will start serving Him boldly in order to challenge the culture. 
He's looking for those who are already serving him boldly in order to change the culture. You see, we have two choices as followers of Christ, and this is not original to me. I couldn't find who to credit it with. But we can either be a thermometer or a thermostat. A thermometer reflects the temperature. A thermostat affects the temperature. Which one do you want to be? Do you want to be a, a thermostat where you have a, an influence on the culture, where you're making changes in the culture? Or do you want to be a thermometer where you just sit there and just indicate what the culture is already doing around you? We need more people who want to be thermostats. So we see a conniving plot, a consistent purpose, but also the third thing we see in verses 16 through 18 is a catastrophic punishment. <clears throat> Let me say that again, a catastrophic punishment. Taylor, catastrophic. Cat, cat, like lines, lines den, cats, catastrophic. That's, see, that's Taylor's kind of comedy right there. I'm... Nobody else got that. Pep, no help over there? Not even a chuckle. Pet, Skipper, nothing from you? Oh, man. I told y'all the jokes don't get any better. You might as well start laughing. All right, let's look at 16 through 18. <clears throat> so the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. Hey, how about this? Thanks, king. <laughs> Appreciate it. Most powerful guy in the country says he's going to pray for me. Woohoo! Why don't you just don't throw me in the lion's den? Anyway, sorry, I digress. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and he could not sleep. By the way, diversions there is probably what uh, King Belshazzar was doing the night he got killed. <laughs> diversions. Anyway. So King Darius seemed to be conflicted about punishing Daniel. There's, there seems to be a really good relationship already. Obviously, there would be a good relationship. He wouldn't have put him as one of the three, you know, other than him, the three people below him, one of them was Daniel. So there's obviously a good relationship. But you really kind of get the sense of it as he's talking. He, he realizes what they've done. They've, they've tricked him into this, and now his, his friend Daniel is in, is in harm's way. But it doesn't change anything. Listen to Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? So, see, I'm, I'm really conflicted about this king. I love the fact that he likes Daniel, but I'm really disturbed at the fact that he doesn't take the steps necessary to protect Daniel. Now, the king didn't know what was going to happen with the lion's den. The king thought he was sending Daniel to his death, and yet he did it anyway. This is kind of the opposite of the commitment level we see from Daniel. Here the king shows us the difference between an emotional concern and a spiritual conviction as well as the difference between a temporal perspective and an eternal perspective. Now think about that for a minute. An emotional concern versus a spiritual conviction and a temporal perspective versus an eternal perspective. Darius is like that person who promises you something but never fulfills it. Maybe he's kind of like the boss that tells you, hey, we've got downsizing and even though you're my best employee, I'm going to have to let you go. It reminds me of April when she said she liked me, but she didn't want anything serious. How'd that work out? <laughs> See, here's the thing. A conviction without continuity is just an emotional response. And I'm challenging you this morning, church. Our faith has got to be more than just about our emotions. Well, I didn't feel like worship today. I didn't feel like worshiping today. Oh, 
don't see where I don't see where your feelings. I can't find it in here. I don't see where your feelings should change whether or not you worship. Your feelings should not have any any bearing on whether or not you worship. Why? Because God is worthy whether you feel like it or you don't. Well, I didn't feel like coming to church this morning. I sure am glad Jesus felt like going to the cross that morning. I'm sure glad he felt like rising from the grave that morning. See, our emotions will lie to us. It's, it's the facts, don't care about your feelings kind of a sentiment. Our emotions will lead us to do things that are really not in the, the alignment with the scriptures because we feel bad. Well, I, gosh, I don't want to tell them what they're doing is wrong. By the way, that's backwards thinking. If you think somebody's about to drink poison and you say, well, you know, I don't want to tell them what, that's their business. If they want to drink poison, I, who am I to say? Y'all would think I was ridiculous if I did that. If I saw one of you about to, about to uh, eat something or, or drink something that was poison and I just let you do it and then I told you, you were like, hey, I just drank poison. I said, yeah, I know. I was going to tell you, but, you know, I don't wanna, you know, like trying to barriers, you know, set limits on my life. I don't want to be intrusive into your life. That's not what it's about. It's not about our emotions. It's about our faith. It's about our convictions. It's about the things that the Bible tells us to do. The king's kind words, sleeplessness, and fasting were not what Daniel was counting on to keep him out of death. It was the sovereignty of God. Daniel, I sure feel bad about putting you in that lines, Dan. All right, then. Thanks, king. But that's not what he was counting on. So we see a conniving plot, a consistent purpose, a catastrophic punishment, but also a colossal plot twist. Verses 19 through 24 tell the story. So Daniel's thrown in the lion's den. The entrance is blocked and sealed. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. First thing in the morning, the king gets up and he runs to check on Daniel and he finds that God has supernaturally spared him. And it's interesting that Daniel says an angel was in the den with him just like the one his three friends had in the furnace. Once more showing that God is not leaving us alone. Whether this was a theophany, whether this is a pre-existent, uh, a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Christ, or whether this was an archangel uh, or just another angel, we don't know for sure. I believe it was a, a theophany. I believe this was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. But whatever the, whatever the entity, God's presence was with Daniel in his punishment. And y'all listen, God is not changing. God doesn't shift like the sands. He doesn't he doesn't change like the tides. God is consistent. And if he was with Daniel, he's going to be with you. He's going to be with me. Darius orders Daniel to be taken out, and he orders the accusers to be tossed in. And we think that's pretty heinous, but it's following with Persian law, according to historians. So Daniel's innocence was on display after spending a night with his furry bunkmates, and yet his accusers are thrown in, and the Bible says that they don't even reach the floor before the lions start to devour them. Now look at the contrast between the protection God displayed for his servant and the power God displayed against his enemies. This reminded me of the gallows that Haman built for Mordecai in the book of Esther. Remember, Haman's plotting against Mordecai. He hates the, hates the Jewish people, and he's trying to get him. And so he has these big elaborate gallows built, and he's going he's gonna to trick the queen and the king, and he's going to have Haman hanged, and then guess or have Mordecai hanged, and then guess who gets to use the gallows for the first time? That's how God works. And I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something today that you need to hear. Whether you realize it or not or whether you can see it or not, God still works that same way today. 
It, it doesn't mean he's going to deliver you from every lion's den. What it means is he's able. He's able to deliver you. But you need to put your faith in him. The last thing I want you to see here is a contrite proclamation. We can't say for sure whether or not this was a declaration of faith or, or just an acknowledgement of divine power that was clearly on display. What we do know for sure is that these pagan rulers were used powerfully by God for the purpose of eventually allowing the Jews to return to Jerusalem and rebuild. It, it reminded me of Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he pleases. Can I just tell you that it's a great comfort for me, even though we live in a... In a somewhat still free society, uh, whoever, whatever, whatever letter is beside the name of the person that gets in the White House, let me remind you what it says. His heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he pleases. If your guy doesn't get elected, it doesn't matter. God's still in command. He's still in charge. So whether this was a contrite king, a converted king, or even a controlled king, we can't say for sure because all of those things are within God's ability to use. What we can say for sure is that every word was true of this whole decree and everyone would do well to heed it. Let me read it for you. He said, I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel for he is the living God. And news for you this morning, newsflash, he still is. And he endures forever. And he still does. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Amen? And his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. For he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Let me, let me go one step further though. If Daniel had been cat food that night, everything else that he said about him in this passage would have been true. So we've got a conniving plot, a consistent purpose, a catastrophic punishment a colossal plot twist and a contrite proclamation. All right, so let me, let me, let me kind of try to funnel this thing down a little bit. So many people look at this story and they miss the real point. They look at the lines, they look at the, the, you know, Daniel's faith, and all those things are good. I'm not saying any of the stuff that people miss the real point of. I'm not saying they miss the real point for bad things. They just miss the real point. And here's the real point. The whole point of Daniel 6 is the same point of the rest of Daniel's life, and that was to point to Jesus. You see, Daniel was a type, all right? That's what he was. He was a type. In other words, he was a foreshadowing. He was a, uh, an example of Jesus. And then Jesus is the antitype. Jesus is the fulfillment of the type that Daniel said. It's like the law. Hebrews 10.1 says the law is a shadow of the good things to come. This is the same way Daniel was a shadow of the Jesus that was to come. He was, he was the, the pre-runner. St. Augustine says it this way, talking about the Old New Testament. He says, the new is in the old contained and the old is in the new explained. I like that. I, it helps me understand it. Here's what Tim Keller said. Jesus is the true and better Daniel. Jesus is the true and better Daniel. Having been lowered into a lion's den of death, emerges early the next morning alive and vindicated by his God. Both Daniel and Jesus were put in a tomb and a stone was put in place and a signet was put on the seal. The lions couldn't keep Daniel in his pit and death couldn't keep Jesus in the tomb. Listen to Daniel 6, 17. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Now listen to Matthew 27, 66. They 
they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guard. See, this, uh, there's a, an article called Christ's Tomb is Sealed from Ligonier Ministries. The seal was a soft moldable substance, probably clay, that was imprinted with the Roman imperial seal and attached to a stone with a rope. Breaking the seal would incur the, the empire's wrath if someone could get past the guards. Jerome said this, uh, the greater their precautionary care, the more fully is revealed the power of the resurrection. Here's what we see. When Daniel was put in there and they put the stone across it and they put this seal, we don't really understand that as well nowadays, but they would have understood it. When they said that it was sealed, it doesn't mean it was cemented or mortared. It means that they put this kind of wax or clay seal and they would take this signet ring and they would imprint it so that you would know that the king had commanded it or decreed it. And all these other nobles took part in this for Daniel's day. They all put their little signet rings up there. And so what they would do is when they go back, if the, if the signet is broken when they return to the, to, the, to the lion's den, they know that somebody has come in and, and absconded with the body. Somebody's come in and done something. The same thing with Jesus. If they had come to the tomb and found the seal broken, they would have been able to say, hey, somebody came and stole the body. So they set a guard and they set a seal. The only way the guards could have been knocked out and the seal could have been broken and nobody been punished for it is something supernatural. Something supernatural occurred to get Jesus out of that tomb. Something supernatural occurred to get Daniel out of that lion's den. Let me give you a couple more things real quick and we'll close. In Psalm 22.1, we see uh, this is where G Jesus recites this verse, Psalm 22.1, on the cross. It's the most gut-wrenching thing to me that Jesus says on the cross. Okay, It's the most heartbreaking thing that I read in my scripture when I read about Jesus dying on the cross for me. Here's what it said. You find it in Matthew 27, 46 or Mark 15, 34. Here's what he says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had always said, my father, our father. Uh, you know, It was always father. And now yet here it was my God, my God. He, was, he felt that separation because he had become sin, I believe. And he would see the same thing that the psalmist, this is a Davidic psalm in Psalm 22 where David is writing this. He feels abandoned because of what the situation he's in. And this is what Jesus echoes from the cross. I want you to look at two other verses in that psalm because we're talking about how Daniel is, is the forerunner, that Jesus is the true and better Daniel. Psalm twenty two thirteen. they open their mouths wide at me as ravening and roaring lions. Psalm twenty two twenty one. save me from the lion's mouth. Look at how Peter refers to Satan in 1 Peter 5, 8. Your adversary the devil is prowling around what? Like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Do you see the similarities? Do you see the symbolism being used that Daniel was in the lion's den and Jesus was in the tomb and it was the same representation? I'm going to close with this. Our worship team can come on up. I told them this morning, this is a weird sermon because this is probably the first thing that I wrote. I had gone and found some verses and I would copied and pasted them into a document. I keep track of them. And I was looking at other quotes and I was reading other resources. And so I spent a lot of time with the text, but I didn't have anything on paper yet from me. I didn't have any thoughts of my own yet. And this is the first thing that I wrote. I'm going to try to just kind of read it to you so I don't miss anything. But this is the closing. I don't, don't typically get a closing before I get a message, but this is where we are. Every person alive today on this big blue marble we call earth is looking for one thing, hope. Those of us who know Christ have learned that he is the only source of that most valuable commodity. But everyone is still searching. Some look for it in money, some in fame, others in power, relationships, drug, alcohol, sexual identity, gender identity. 
whatever it is, they're all looking for hope. And Daniel knew that his hope was found only in his faith and that nothing, nothing, not even a king's decree or a lion's den could stand between him and his hope. And he knew that because he had already weighed his options and purposed in his heart long before this law was signed and long before he was thrown into the lion's den. So my question this morning is simply this. What about you? We read that back in Daniel 1.8 that Daniel had purposed in his heart. In other words, Daniel had made a decision before the time of decision making was upon him. He had purposed in his heart that he was not going to be defiled by the king's food. He had purposed in his heart that he was not going to stop praying. He had purposed in his heart that he was not going to pray to any golden idols. The Daniel that we know, the Daniel that we want to try to emulate is the Daniel that has the kind of faith that we're called to have as followers of Christ. Where we have purposed in our heart, we have committed ourselves, we have set our hearts to Christ and nothing can sway us, nothing can change us, nothing can turn us. So my question to you this morning, is that your faith? Have you purposed in your heart? Or are you waiting for the winds of change to blow and then you'll see what happens, see what shakes out? If you wait until the decision time is upon you, you will not make your best decision. I challenge you this morning, if you've not done it already, commit your life to Christ. Repent of your sins, confess Him as Savior, and live the rest of your life for Him. Living out your faith, like Matt Chandler says, with everyday faithfulness. If you're here today and you've made a profession of faith, but you've drifted, you're not living in everyday faithfulness, come up here today and talk to me. Maybe God is moving in your heart today to come up and say, you know what? Today I'm going to purpose in my heart. Whatever God is doing, if He's calling you to join our church, if He's calling you to just come and pray for somebody, whatever the Spirit is doing this morning, whatever the Spirit is moving you to do, my request is that you be instantly obedient. Would you stand? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second before we worship, we're going to have this time of response. If you need to come talk to me, again, I'm going to stay here for a little bit, and I'm going to move over there, but come get me. God is looking for people who will make a decision early and stand by it every day that they're going to live for Christ regardless of what it costs them. Would that be you today? Father, we ask today that you would move in this place, that your spirit would be alive and would transform lives, God, that you would change hearts. If there are people here today, God, that have never confessed Christ, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. If there are people here today, God, that have professed Christ but have moved away and, and are not living strongly for him, I pray that today would be the day that they would rededicate themselves anew, that they would come back and say, I'm purposing in my heart. God, if you're moving on people to come and join our fellowship, to come and join Westmobile Baptist Church, God, whatever you want to do today, we give this service to you and ask you to use it. God, may you be glorified and may you be exalted as we live in obedience to your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.